We are starting a new series this morning, as you can see, called Fixed, and we are going to basically walk through, uh, this comes from a key phrase in, in Hebrews chapter 12, in the first three verses of, of Hebrews chapter 12, where the, the Hebrew writer basically tells us to fix our eyes on Jesus, that no matter what we are facing, no matter the circumstances, however difficult they may be, or how overwhelming the situation may be, and, and I won't ask you to raise your hand because I know that all of us either have gone through something, are going through something, or will go through something that is difficult, that is challenging, that is overwhelming at times. And so what do we do in those times? And, and, and the Hebrew writer tells us that, that we take our eyes off of those things, not, not to ignore them, not to act like they don't exist, but we take our eyes off of those things and fix our eyes on Jesus. And, and so we're going to be spending most of our time in that passage over the course of these next few weeks. It'll lead us into VBS and it'll actually extend a little bit after uh, VBS. So we'll have to take a, a break, a week break from it, I think, because we'll do something a little bit more specific to VBS. But if you want to go ahead and turn to Hebrews chapter 12, we will be reading there from, uh, from there in just a second or either in your Bibles or in your Bible apps. When, kind of use that as a base camp, and then we'll look at some other passages in the book of Hebrews uh, as well as we hopefully encourage one another and, and challenge one another to run the race and to fix our eyes on Jesus. I, I was thinking these last couple weeks as I was kind of preparing for this, this series and starting off this series, uh, in my time in, in ministry, which hasn't relatively been all that long, but decade and a half or so, I've had a lot of different conversations with, with people, sat down with people and had a lot of different, for lack of better words, pastoral conversations with people, many of you, about a lot of different things, you know, things that you're struggling with, periods of, of seasons in your life that you're going through. And, and some of those um, are extended periods. Some of those are brought on by events that are specific, the, the loss of a loved one, or uh, maybe, you know, something going on a stressed family relationship, or you, the list goes on and on, health. And, and I've sat down and had a lot of different conversations. And, and I've, I'm not the greatest listener in the world, but I, I've tried to listen and tried to um, give godly wisdom, speak God's word into the situation, certainly pray with, with people and pray for people. Now, the, depending on the situation, the application obviously going to be different. But as I think back, I was thinking of back over all those conversations, there's one kind of common theme that runs through all of them. And again, the application's different, but there's a common message that runs through, through all of them. What do you think that was? I mean, you just think through, if you could describe one sentence in one sentence, and you think through every situation that, that could be on the table, overwhelming situation, overwhelming circumstances, uh, struggles going on in, in your life or in the life of, a, of somebody else. So you, you think when you are overwhelmed and you are at the end of life's rope, what is it that you, what is it that you need to hear? You, know, you, you need encouragement, but what does that, what does that, that, that sound like? What does that look like? For some, the way to approach that as a minister, or just in, in general, is kind of to take the, the Mr. Rogers approach, I guess I would say, where, you know, people want a, a gentle smile and, and, and kind of a, a kind voice, awesome sweater jacket, you know, to, to go on. 
and, and to just kind of, you know, put your arm around someone and say, it's, it's going to be okay. You know, it, it's all going to work out. It's going to be okay. I'm so sorry. Life is hard. Um, if you know me, you know that that's not really my personality. That, that's not really, I mean, I can, I can be a little bit empathetic, but I, I, it's not, I, I, if, if you ask my wife, she'd probably say that my tone is a little less like Mr. Rogers and a little more like William Wallace from Braveheart. Um, and, and so I, you know, I, I have to, I, I struggle sometimes with, with being more, and I need to be uh, more sensitive than, than what I am. But as I've had more and more of these conversations, what I've discovered is that oftentimes in those situations, what people want is comfort, right? What people want is comfort. They, they want the, the awesome sweater jacket approach, but I think what we often need in those times is someone, maybe not, maybe you don't have to have a painted face and a strong voice, but we need someone to say to us, hang in there. Don't give up. Keep at it. This is a time where you need to get in the game. You need to fight the fight. You need to run the race. It's hard and you're tired and you may feel like you can't keep going, but you can. With God's help and with God's power, you can fight this another day. And today we're not going to quit. Today we're not going to give up. Today we're going to keep moving forward. And I've just discovered that more often than not, that's the message. We may not always want to hear that message in the moment, but that's the message that we need to hear that I need to hear. And and look, I'm not saying that we don't need comfort. That's not at all what I'm saying. I'm not saying that we don't need people to come and put their arms around us at times and to tell us that it's going to be okay. I, I understand that we need some of that. But a lot of times when we're tired and we're weary and we feel like giving up, we feel like, you know, giving in and calling it quits, we need someone not just to say, hey, why don't you have a seat on the bench and take a break for a little bit? But we need someone to say, don't give up, keep going, hang on, hold fast, stand firm. Now is not the time to tap out or to bail out or to bow out. The fight is not over. You can do this, not by yourself, not out of your own strength, not out of your own power, but you can do this by the power of God. And in this series, that's what we want to talk about. That's what we want to learn to do, to find strength in God, to have a faith that perseveres. And yet I know that maybe for, for a lot of people, maybe for, for some of you, there's a different voice that is going on in your head. And a lot of discouraging words, words that say, well, you, you might as well let go. I mean, nothing's ever going to change. It's too late now. God doesn't care. You deserve this. This is what you get. I mean, this is what you get, right? We kind of talked about last week, wrapped up the the sermon on uh, the series on cumulative effect. Like this is what you get. The seeds that you've always sown, you might as well not even worry about planting new ones because this is who you are and that's how you're always going to be. And so when we're feeling that way, we often want somebody to feel sorry for us. 
And then we tend to get upset when the person we want to feel sorry for us doesn't feel sorry for us. And we want them to wallow in the dirt with us and they want, don't wanna wallow in the dirt with us. But what we need oftentimes more than comfort, and I understand these things aren't, aren't mutually exclusive. I, I'm not saying that. And, and I'm not saying that we don't need comfort because we do, but what we often need more than comfort is courage. What we often need more than sympathy is strength. And as you read through scripture, you'll, you'll find that in many ways, that's the tone of scripture. It's the tone of the New Testament. Certainly it's the tone of the Hebrew writer that we're gonna look at over the next few weeks who speaks courage into discouragement. Now there, there's certainly some comfort to be found in his words, but more than anything, it is courage that he speaks. You think of some of the action verbs, even just the passages that we're gonna look at this morning. Let us do these things. Let us run the race. Let us fix our eyes on Jesus. And so oftentimes in our lives, that's what a lot of us need. More than comfort, more than, hey, why don't you have a seat over here on the bench? Is, is to have courage spoken into our lives and into our souls. The word encouragement, if you were to just kind of, I don't know, commonly define the word encouragement, I don't know what you would come up with, but I think a, a pretty common definition of encouragement would be words spoken that make somebody feel better. Is that kind of accurate, the, the way we would kind of see that word encouragement? Words spoken that make somebody feel better. But the word encouragement really, in essence, means to fill with courage, right? To, to fill with courage, to fill with strength. I, I think about Joshua as he's ready to go into battle. God, God says, you, some of you got this on your walls, right? Be what? Strong and courageous, right? Be strong and, and courageous. Not, not have a seat over here, but be strong and courageous. And so encouragement better defined than making somebody feel better would be to fill a soul with courage. And that's what the Hebrew writer is doing. He's speaking some courage into our lives. And here's what he says, starting in verse one. This is Hebrews chapter 12. It says, therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles and let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us, fixing our eyes, there's that phrase, fixing our eyes on Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy set before him endured the cross, scorning its shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Consider him who endured such opposition from sinners so that you will not grow weary and lose heart. And the implication is that these, these readers were doing just that. They were growing weary. They were losing heart. And the Hebrew writer knows it. And if he knows it's not now, then it's going to come at some point that they're going to feel discouraged. They're going to feel overwhelmed. They're going to feel beaten down. And when they do, here's what you do. And the first thing he tells us is to remember the witnesses. And that's what we're gonna talk about this morning. Remember the witnesses. Since you are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses. That, that word, therefore, uh, I've talked about this before. Basically, you say, if you see that word, therefore, think, what's it there for? Like, it points us back to what we've just read. So this is the very first verse of chapter 12. So it makes sense that if there's nothing before in chapter 12 and this comes, then it's pointing us back to chapter 11. 
And in Hebrews chapter 11, it basically tells us one story after another of people who have run the race, people who were faithful when it was hard. People have kept faith in God even when circumstances and situations seemed impossible. And so therefore is pointing us back to chapter 12, or excuse me, chapter 11. And the very first way that's described in chapter 12, these people, these people who have run the race is as a great cloud of witnesses. Great cloud of witnesses. So a couple words to kind of break down. That word cloud. If I just say cloud to you, you probably think of like a floating mass in the sky, right? That sometimes brings rain, um, sometimes brings some nice relief and shade. But the word cloud here is, is really more of all-encompassing, right? And you kind of get this idea surrounded by this great cloud. It's all around us. You ever been driving through, I, I think of these two places in particular, just because you get, get through the mountains. You ever driven through like Tennessee and, and Kentucky and you're kind of up in the mountains and it's just dense fog all around you and, it, and it's a little scary too because there's like a, you know, hundreds of foot drop off off the side. Um, but but it, it, it's, it's just all encompassing. Think of it like that fog. It is all around you. We are surrounded by it. And, and a cloud metaphor is, pretty common to be used as, as a descriptor for a group of people, a multitude of people. For instance, you go to Disney, you are surrounded by a cloud of people everywhere. And, and so that's the picture. He says, look, when, when you grow weary and you grow tired and you're, you're going to grow weary and, and you're going to get tired, remember that you are surrounded by a great cloud of witnesses everywhere around you. And you can't see it, but everywhere around you, they are there. And these people who have gone before, they fought the fight, they finished the race, they've kept the faith, they are now witnesses. Which brings us to the other word, the word witness. There's a couple ways that we kind of think of, of, of witness. One way is, is a witness is someone who sees something, right? So you have a, like an eyewitness. I saw something, I, I, I witnessed it. And, and certainly that's at least part of the idea here that there are which is just crazy, millions of eyes on you and me right now. People who have gone before, that, that we are surrounded by these heroes of the faith, those people who have run the race, those people who have, who have died, they've been put to death for a belief and a faith in Jesus Christ and, and, and in God and what he's doing, that God is faithful. People who have kept the faith no matter what the circumstances brought them. They walked out what God had for them and and they're now in heaven looking down and watching us run this race. That's That's a pretty powerful image, right? When you think about all of these people who have gone before that that they are they are watching us. There's a lot of inspiration to be had from that. And so when you feel just worn out and you're tired and you're down on the track and you don't feel like you can keep running, you just take a a moment to remember the witnesses and and hopefully that'll get you going. I I like how the Living Bible translates this verse. It says, since we have such a huge crowd of men and women of faith watching us from the grandstands. It's a cool image. But there's another way you can define witness and that is someone who says something, right? Right? Not just someone who sees something, but someone who gives witness to something. And so not only do we have these witnesses who have gone before and they see us, but they're also speaking to us as well. They're saying something to us. In fact, the Hebrew writer um, brings up 
uh, this, this list of heroes of the faith. And the first one that he brings up is a guy by the name of Abel. You remember Cain and Abel. And here's what he says about Abel in verse four of chapter 11. He says, by faith, Abel offered a better sacrifice than Cain did. By faith, he was commended as a righteous man when God spoke well of his offerings. And by faith, he still speaks even though he's dead. Even though he's dead, he still has something to say to us. He still has something to relay to us, to witness to us. And so the question is, what do these witnesses have to say? What do they have to speak to us? And so in our time left this morning, that's kind of what we want to talk about for a few minutes and just give you a couple of examples. And I'll use um, some, some fairly well-known ones because we don't have a lot of time to unpack all of this. But uh, we'll start with, with verse 7 and, uh, and Noah. Hebrews 11 verse 7 tells us of Noah that by faith when warned about things not yet seen. And so just picture this. Noah, uh, you know the end of the story, right? You, you know Noah, the flood, the ark. Those are synonymous in, in our minds. And, and yet he, he hasn't seen that, okay? We, we know the end story and, and, and he's warned about a flood when all he's seen is a few showers at best. And yet, in holy fear, he built an ark to save his family. Now, you may say, no big deal, he built an ark, right? He built a boat. You know how long it took him to build this boat? And some people will, will say, point to the Bible talks about 120 years from the time he's commanded to the time he's in. I don't think it was that long. Most scholars believe somewhere between 50 and 75 years that it took him to build this boat. How many of you have done a, a remodel? in your house. We are, I wish I could say, finished with our remodel in our kitchen. Um, it's been going on for several months, and uh, it's been stressful more on my wife than on me, but I can't imagine a 50-year remodel. Can you imagine the, the arguments that would ensue? 50 years, that's a long building project. And he's building this boat when all he's seen is a few showers. And there are people around him who are discouraging him. And he's got these haters all around. And he just keeps doing what God has asked him to do. And, and so I think maybe what Noah might say as a witness, as he speaks, as he sees us running our, our race, I think he might say, I know you're tired. And I know that the, the progress is slower than you thought it would be, but but." Just keep the faith because the rain is coming. The rain is coming. And a lot of stories in the Old Testament really underline this idea that, that God is rarely early, but he is never late. And if you're taking notes, God is always right on time. That he is always right on time. And you can trust him even when it seems like you can't. We sang a song just a few minutes ago called, uh, that said, standing on the promises of God, right? And we are standing on, on the promises that God has given us. And we talk about God's faithfulness and, and God's goodness. And yet for, for some of us, there's, there's times, maybe times right now where we sing those words, but we don't really feel that way because we feel let down. We just, we don't feel like we're standing on, on the promises. We feel let down. Right now, we feel like things aren't going the way that they should. And so I, I think Noah would say faith, faith is sometimes waiting, right? 
Faith is sometimes waiting. And you may not be really sure how it's all going to work out and how it's all going to come together, but you just keep being obedient to what God has asked you to do, believing in the end that he is not going to let you down, that he is always right on time. But that, like, that can be really hard, right? Because you, you were expecting it to be done by now. And, and we want God to be on our calendar. You ever notice that? We want God to be on our calendar, and yet God is not on our calendar. Like God doesn't wake up in the morning and check your calendar just to make sure he's got it under control, right? Oh, what does Josh have going on today that I need to make sure I'm there for that, right? His calendar doesn't go by your calendar. He's got his own calendar. I, I think about what happened with, with Marcia and I. On my phone, I have, a, I have a calendar app, right? And you probably have this on your phone. Maybe some of you are old school like Lauren and you have it all written down in your calendar. Um, I have a calendar app on, on my phone. And so all my meetings and appointments and anything that's going on, I put them in there. And Marcy has also a calendar app in her phone appointments and meetings, uh, as well as because she's a better parent than I am, the kids stuff that's got going on. And, and so for the longest time, it's not a problem now, although it still is a problem because I still forget, but um, for the longest problem, the, the calendars weren't synced together. You can sync the calendars on my phone and, on, and I can see the same calendar, but they weren't synced together. So what happened is for a long time, I, I just not realized that things are going on because they're not on my calendar. And she'd get frustrated with me, right? And, and I'd get frustrated with myself because I'm, I'm looking at the wrong calendar. And, and I think that's where frustration comes for a lot of us. That, that we've got a couple calendars and we're looking at the wrong calendar. And we're expecting it to be by our calendar. And, and yet that's, that's, not, that's not God's calendar. And when our calendar doesn't come together the way that we think it should we're tempted to, to just get frustrated and, and quit. Tempted to give up because things were supposed to be different by then, right? By now. How many of you say that? Th- I thought things would be different by now. I thought this relationship would be better. I thought my heartbreak would be less. I thought my fill in the blank would be different by now. Why isn't it? And yet God's calendar doesn't, I'm not trying to be mean. I guess I'm Again, this is the William Wallace in me coming out more than the Mr. Rogers. But God's calendar doesn't need your calendar's permission. He's got his own calendar. And so I think Noah would say, look, I know you've been waiting and I know you're tired, but don't give up because God is always right on time. Keep, just keep at it. I, I know you've been trying to make some changes. I know maybe you've been trying to, to, to rebuild some of what's missing in your marriage. Now, I know you're trying to do some things differently in your family. I know you're trying to maybe reach out to that family member or coworker or friend or neighbor. I, I know you're trying to do some things differently, whatever it may be, and it just seems like it's slow progress right now, but don't give up. Just keep at it. Just stick with it. The rain will come. God is always right on time. Verse eight tells us about Abraham. God told Abraham to pack up everything that he had and to go off to this distant country, a different land to live. But the thing is, God doesn't tell Abraham exactly where to go. And so Abraham's like, okay, I'll go, but where am I going again? And God's like, I'll, I'll let you know on the way. 
I'll let you know on the way. And, and Hebrew writer says of Abraham, he went. He went without knowing where he was going. That takes faith. I don't think I need to tell you that. That takes faith. And for some of us, maybe that's the situation that you're in right now. You're trying to be obedient to God, but you're not really sure where you're going. How is this going to work out? I can't see the end result, right? How is this going? And, and God's not telling you. You're like, God, it'd be nice if I could just get a couple of details. Like, am I heading east or west? That helps a little bit, north, south, east. Get, and he's just not telling you. And, and that's an opportunity for faith. Verse 11 says here of Sarah, Abraham's wife, you know, she finds out she's supposed to be this mother, uh, that she's going to have a son who would be a father of a great nation. But the Bible says that she was old and barren. That's the Bible's words. I'm not calling her that. That's just the Bible's words. And that her husband, Abraham, was as good as dead. And yet it says that, I, I love this phrase, Sarah considered him faithful who had made the promise. That seems so simple and yet so hard. She just believed that God is faithful. He made the promise and, and he's faithful. I mean, it didn't make sense on paper. Physically, it seemed impossible, but God said it and, and God is always faithful to his promises. And so the challenge then is even when you don't know what's going to happen or when it's gonna happen or how it's gonna happen, if God says it, then he'll do it. Now, the problem is sometimes we get confused and we think, well, if I said it, then God will do it. If God says it, he'll do it. And we have this, this fear of the future. We don't know how things are gonna work out and, and it kind of paralyzes us and we, we keep you know, from moving forward. We stop moving forward. And I, I love what the Bible says in, in the beginning of Hebrews chapter 11. It says, now faith is, is confidence. There's a confidence in, in even what we do not see and what we hope for, assurance about what we do not see. Like that, that is faith. You don't know the future. You can't see how it's all gonna, gonna fit, but you just trust God and you keep moving forward. Um, I, I've talked to you guys about this before. I, I'm, I, I love the Olympics. Like, I, I wish the Olympics on, were on every year. I, I could watch the Olympics. And um, I'm, I love the Summer Olympics, but I'm really intrigued by the Winter Olympics, especially growing up in Arkansas. Some of you are like skiing, you know, sledding. Some of those things, you, you probably did them. Curling, I don't know how many of you, you know, get used to. I, but I'm intrigued by them because I grew up in Arkansas where we didn't have any of these things. And so I, I can't run with the people who are doing the summer Olympics. I'm not saying I could compete with them, but I feel like I can do that. Like I can get out and run. I can throw a shot put probably like five feet, but I can throw one. I know I can't ski. I can't do it. And then some of you, again, you, you may say that you, that's not anything hard for you. I can't do that. And so I'm intrigued by the winter Olympics. And there's one event that I, that I was, I'm always kind of intrigued by. It's called the, the super G. You ever watched the super G before? I don't even know what that means. I just know that they go really fast down a hill. And, and so I remember watching this and they were talking about one of the things that they um, talked about in this event is that they don't get to practice this event before going down in the actual event. Like, like they, they get to walk the course and they can kind of study the course, but they don't get to run the course full out like they do until 
the actual event takes place. And so because of that, the skiers at the beginning are at a disadvantage from the skiers at the end. But what they'll do is the skiers near the end, they'll have a teammate who will go down the hill and as they're going down, they're kind of processing everything and then they'll call back up to the top and they'll tell their their teammates here, you know, this is what you need to watch out for. You know, there's a turn in, you know, I don't know, turn eight. I'm just making up language here. Turn eight and and you need to watch this because it's gonna go faster than what you thought and you need to make sure you... I don't know, till, you know, I could tell you words and you probably wouldn't know either, but just watch out for this turn. You know, and here's a spot where we thought it was gonna be slower, but it's faster. Here's a spot where we thought it was gonna be faster and it's slower. And, and, and they get up, you know, they get to the bottom and they call up and they say, here's, here's what to expect. Here's what you need to be made aware of. And, and I, I feel like that's a great description of what's going on in Hebrews chapter 12. These people in Hebrews 11 who have finished the race, they're, they're calling back, they've gotten to the bottom, they're calling, or the top, however you want to look at it, and, and they're calling back up and they're saying, hey, there's going to be some times, there's going to be some seasons in your life where you thought it was going to go right and it's going to go left. Where, where you thought it was going to go fast and it, it's, it's going so much slower than you thought. Or it's going to go slow you thought it was going to go slow and it's going to go fast. How many of you can say that with your kids? You thought it was going to go slow and it just fast. Or, or maybe where you thought it was going to, you know, you're out of control and you're going to be tempted to pull back, just lean into it. And they're letting you know what the course is like. They're speaking and they're saying, look, you can have faith because the same God who got us to the bottom is the same God who, who's helping you finish the race. Same God who's with you, and he's faithful. He is faithful. Not only is he right on time, but he's always faithful to his promises. And so I think Abraham and and Sarah would say, even if you don't know where he's leading, and even if you don't know how you're gonna get there, and even if you don't know how it's gonna happen, don't lose faith. Get off the bench or off the pew and and stay in the game because God God is always faithful. Verse 22 tells us about Joseph. I I love the story of Joseph. Verse 22 doesn't tell us about his story, but it does tell us that he's in in this this list of the the heroes of of the faith, that he's part of this cloud of witnesses. And if you remember Joseph's story, he has this dream and and he thought he knew what life was going to be like, and yet everything kind of falls apart. It's not really his fault. I mean, there's some arrogance in Joseph's life, but it's not I mean, it's mostly not his fault. I mean, his, his brothers sell him into slavery. They don't like him. And, and then he gets charged for a crime and thrown in prison for a crime that he doesn't commit. And yet if you study his life, he just keeps on keeping on. He just keeps the faith. And he, he didn't feel sorry for himself. He could have. I mean, if, if anybody would have had the opportunity to feel sorry for themselves, it's, it's Joseph. And yet, and yet he doesn't. I, I think what Joseph would say to us is that, that God is still writing your story. God is still writing your story. Don't give up because God is still writing your story. You know, one of the things that I think you, you, you get as you read through, not just the, the list of witnesses that are mentioned, heroes of the faith that are mentioned in Hebrews chapter 11, but just in general scripture, 
one of the things it does is it gives you perspective. I, I think two, two words that are so critical to our walking out faith, and they're both P words, uh, perseverance and perspective. I, I think we don't have enough of them in our culture, in our day and age, is perseverance over the long haul and perspective. Just being able to see the big picture. You know, and, and, and when you read through these stories, I think it gives us a better grasp of perspective. You know, sometimes we feel like we're the only ones who are going through this. You ever felt that way? Like, I'm the only one. I feel like I'm the only one who's struggling with this. Or I'm the only one who's feeling this. Well, you're not. That's not to belittle what you're going through, but you're just not the only one who's ever been through that. And sometimes as a preacher, it's helpful for me to, you know, kind of read story. I've talked to a couple of people this last week about going on mission trips, but also just reading stories about, you know, ministers and, and missionaries who are in places where, I, I'm not just talking about places where it's just culturally different, but where it's illegal in some places to preach the gospel. I was reading a story about one preacher, a minister, who was stoned for preaching the gospel. Stoned for, now he lived, he survived, but he was stoned like rocks thrown at him for preaching the gospel. Gives me perspective, right? And so I think about if, if like one of you are unkind to me, like you say it, something that's critical of me and I don't really like it. I can imagine like him saying, if I talk to him, oh, so somebody said something unkind to you? How was that? How did that make you feel? I was stoned for preaching the gospel. You know what I mean? It's a perspective. And sometimes that's, that's what we need is, is just some perspective in, in this life and, and what we're walking out. I, I don't imagine him feeling so sorry for me. And, and so there's perspective that's sometimes needed because we all have a tendency to sometimes play the victim. To play the victim in the story that we're living. We get, we get caught up in this victim mentality. I don't know if you've read stuff, but there's a lot of different descriptors. I'll just give you a, com, a couple of them. Um, it's, it's someone else's fault that I feel the way I feel. Like I wouldn't, I wouldn't feel this way if this person hadn't done something to me or if this situation were different. Or we can't seem to let go of what someone does to us or says to us, we just tend to hang on to it. I mean, I, I won't ask you to raise your hand, but how many of you are hanging on to stuff that was done or said to you decades ago? Or it's really hard for us to take counsel or constructive criticism because we just think people are trying to attack us. And so we get defensive. Or maybe we, we see things that need to change, but we feel powerless to change them. And so the approach is that we just want to complain about them. And then we want someone else to feel sorry for us when we do complain about them. And if they don't feel sorry for us, then we get angry and upset with them. And I was just talking with, with someone last week who, that they tried to speak some truth into someone's life and this person got upset and kind of cut off communication because they wouldn't feel sorry for them, but they instead tried to speak truth into their lives. Or, or we constantly compare ourselves to others who won't have what we want and we feel like we're cheated. I mean, it's so easy to play the role of a victim. And I think what Joseph might say to, to some of us 
would you just stop, please? Like for your sake and, and for those around you, just stop feeling sorry for yourself. It's not to belittle what happened to you. I, I know what happened to you wasn't right. I know it hurt. And some of you, like you, you legitimately have a reason to, to feel hurt. And, and, and Joseph would say, I get that. I did too. But what happened is what happened. And, and what you're going through is, is what you're going through. This is not the time to, to just throw up your hands and quit. Your story is still being written, right? How many times could Joseph's life be said that his story is still being written? How many times could he have thrown up his hands and just quit? And you may not see it right now. You may not understand it right now, but just have faith and don't give up. Verse 31 tells us about Rahab. She's a prostitute in the Old Testament that God used to save his people. I know, you know, she doesn't really fit, right? You talk about Noah, Abraham, and Joseph, and then we come to Rahab, and she, like, she fits perfectly, more perfectly than you, you probably realize. And I think maybe some of what she might say to us is, look, I, I know you feel weighed down by your past. She's a prostitute, former prostitute. I know you feel weighed down by your past, and I know you're constantly reminded of the mistakes that you've made and who you used to be and, and maybe what others said about you, but you are not who they said you are. And you are, who you are isn't who you were then. And I think for a lot of us, we need to quit living like who we were and start living like who we are. Does that make sense? For, for some of you, you are still so weighed down by who you used to be or who sa someone says you used to be and you are not who you were. You are who God has made you in Christ. God has given you, if you're taking notes, God has given you a new purpose and a new meaning. He did it for Rahab. He can do it for you. So don't give up. Keep going. And the reason I say Rahab fits in perfectly because when you read through the list of, of Hebrews chapter 11, you'll find that for many of them, that was, I mean, you walk through this list of heroes of the faith and we wanna talk about their high points, but we could spend days and days and weeks talking about their low points. They failed in significant ways. In fact, the Bible, it's almost, I'm, I don't want to say come. It's just, it's interesting how the Bible goes out of its way to point out. Like you'd almost think, God, you're not doing these people any favors. But that's, that's the reality of things. It, it is painting the picture of, of life that faith is sometimes failing and then walking it out. And they failed in significant ways. They are heroes of the faith, but they were heroes of the faith who blew it big time but they kept the faith and God still worked. And so I, you know, I was just thinking, as we kind of wrap up this morning, I was thinking about what is the one thing that they would say? And certainly I've you know, mentioned some things this morning, but what is it? What is the one thing that they would say other than, than what we talked about this morning? And I, I guess what I just kind of kept coming back to, and I think this is kind of where it's pointing us to is now it's your turn. Like, now it's your turn. 
I think that's what they would say to us. You know, we, we walked this out. We lived it. And we have a tendency to feel sorry for ourselves. And we have a tendency to kind of feel like we're the only ones who are going through it. And we have a tendency to, to kind of give up and, and quit. And I think they would just say, it's your turn now. Like we lived it. We suffered. Many of us gave our lives for what God had called us to do. You know, the, the actual word for witnesses there in, in Hebrews chapter 12 is the word for martyr. Many of them gave their lives because they believed and they trusted. And, and so now it's your turn. That's your turn to walk it out. It's my turn to live out what God has called us to live, to walk it out in faith. He's right on time. He's always faithful. We can trust in those things. So we just keep walking it out. Don't play the victim. Have some perspective. And trust that God is working. And don't give up.